A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Welcome to Tricky Kid Radio, where the past and the future meet the present for a fun mix of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, hosted by filmmaker and DJ Roy Turner. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our All Things 1981. You have no idea how much I love doing the these specific episodes. And man, wait till we're just a few months away because out of all of them, I love doing, I love doing all the show, love doing all the episodes. Uh, but these '80s ones that I've been doing have just—they've filled me with so much joy and so much happiness, and I hope that they've done the same for you. But out of all of them, 1982—that's going to be coming up, of course, because we're doing it in the 40th anniversary segments, like we're doing '81 now, because it's 2021. Next year we'll do 2022. We'll do 1982. Again, of course, I'm your host, Roy Turner. Uh, welcome to, back to Tricky Kid Radio. Uh, part two, man, and now we're going to tackle the summer, and what a freaking summer it was in 1981. It's just insane to think that so many things that we still like and enjoy or that are just part of our every single daily lives that we forget that there was a time when this wasn't here or around. Like It wasn't like, it's like water or air or whatever, but it feels like that way, doesn't it, you know? But I uh, uh, also got some guests coming up. Uh, I'm so excited to talk about that. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, typically, of course, the summer months are considered to be June, July, and August. Uh, the solstice will have you, have you say that it's late June through uh, late September. Uh, but we tend to kind of go by the school year. But in this situation, we're actually going to go by the solstice because we ended um, part one on June 27th, which was the, the first game of paintball ever played. And we're going to pick it right back up with the very first week of July of 1981, the summertime. And this is nuts, man. Like, this is crazy. I'm going to tell you about a week that happened to kick off July that is just... Imagine in June, none of this was here. And now in July, like in one week, all of what I'm about to tell you is now all here. Check this out. Uh, first, before I, I do get to that, I want to mention a couple of things. One... Is it in part one? I, I mentioned, of course, that you know that thing that happened uh, on Jimmy Carter's very, very last day, his last day as president, uh, and this is this is literally during the inauguration. Uh, he was still negotiating uh, to have those, uh, you know, those American journalists, those, you know, uh, released from uh, Iran. And as he's walking down the procession, as, as Ronald Reagan is about to be sworn in, journals are asking him, hey, are the hostages still released? He's like, not yet, not yet. And then as Ronald Reagan is, after he's sworn in and he's, you know, riding off into the sunset, it was announced. Um, there, But I didn't know this. I'm a big baseball guy, of course. We're going to be talking about a, a bunch of baseball facts here. 
and '81 had had a had was a strange year for baseball as well. But uh, interesting enough that I watch on ESPN. You probably have seen those 30 for 30 documentaries that are fantastic. I love those so much. But there's actually one, they're 30, meaning 30 minutes on something, you know, I guess it happened 30 years, whatever. I don't know why it's called that. But now there's one called E60, which is an hour-long one. And there's one called Ticket Home. And I had seen it after I recorded my piece for part one. So I, I didn't I didn't mention it. And I learned a lot about, a lot, a lot more about that. So the, the timing of that is perfect. So I guess they decided to do that 40 years after. And there's a great baseball thing they tie in. Uh, with one of the hostages and his family. So check that out. That's fantastic. The other one is this, is that while I was doing research, there's actually a French film called 1981. And it's not a documentary. It's just set in 1981. But it is, you know, obviously kind of like the Goldbergs. It's like autobiographical. And this guy did a whole series on them. And I looked for it and I found 1981. And it's great. And then there's, and I was like, this is so awesome. I wish there were more. And there is. So uh, check this out, man. Um, so let, let me let me let me give you some some, some kick, kick some facts for you here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it's actually it's it's when I say it's French, it's uh, it's French Canadian. Uh, it's called 1981, the year I became a liar. It came out in 2009. It's a Canadian French language comedy drama uh, from Quebec, written directed by uh, Ricardo. I think it's Trogi Trogi T R O I G I. And it's an autobiographical thing about the youth years of, of his, and, and told by him. And it is awesome, man. Uh, so try to try to find that. 1981, the year I became a liar. And again, like I said, I kept. I was like, man, I wish there was more. Uh, and in 2014, he released one uh, called 1987. So I think he and I are probably around the same age. And uh, because, you know, the, actually the very first one of these episodes that I did was actually on 1987 because just the timing and, and a lot of things kind of lined up for there. And uh, and apparently uh, then he did a third one uh, called 1991. Now, I haven't seen the 87 or the 1991 one. And that one came out in 2018, uh, largely with the same cast, it appears. And as you know, we started doing... 90s episodes just this year and it was on 1991 uh because now that's 30 years so i don't, I don't want to have to wait you know 10 more years something and hell i was even thinking about doing 2001 and i was like oh my gosh that, that's only been 20 years which is crazy to think that was 20 years ago but it's enough to do as much as i love these episodes they are a mountain of work because i'm a perfectionist and I, I literally couldn't imagine doing one of these episodes where I panic and fear. Like, I did the whole show, and I can't believe that I left out this one incredibly, like, important one. Like, for example, with 1991, if you can somehow believe it, I accidentally left out the fact that that was the year that Miles Davis passed away. And my son is named Miles after him. So, it's like one of those little funny, little fearful things. Um so anyway, so it, I take that because it so, so it takes I I agonize all year. So the fact that I was able to do two episodes this year, kind of like I did ninety one and then eighty one, trying to fit in two thousand and one, it would just something something would suffer, and I don't want that. So the two thousands, I'm not ready to look back on you yet. That's gonna have to wait. It doesn't seem that long ago to me. Anyway, check those out, man. Uh, uh, the eighty one film was great, and I hope I'm able to find the other two. And you know what? I would love. 
uh, to find Ricardo and get him on the show. Wouldn't that be cool? So, uh, too bad I've already done eighty-seven and ninety-one already, but who knows? Maybe we can we could get him on the show for the part three of these series. And we've got some special guests coming up. Uh, so uh, so stick around for that, of course. Okay. So now, I promised you I was going to take about a crazy week uh, to begin the summer. And check this out, man. Okay. July 2nd, you probably have heard about this, the Wonderland murders. The Wonderland gang of cocaine dealers is brutally murdered in a massacre involving Eddie Nash in Los Angeles. And you've heard about this somehow, uh, you know, the porn guy, John Holmes, was involved in this. And, and a bit of that crept into Paul Thomas Anderson's film called Boogie Nights that's loosely based around John Holmes and the Wonderland murders. This happens on July 2nd. That same day, Foreigner drops their landmark freaking bombshell of an album, which is called Foreigner 4. And tell me that you, 40 years later, you didn't hear Jukebox Hero today or Urgent or uh, all the, the, the million well-crafted songs that everyone knows and loves <clears throat> that came out there. My little boy, Tom Miles. Uh, loves Foreigner. He's only three years old, and he loves Jukebox Hero and Urgent and all that great stuff. And uh, I've talked about this before, but Foreigner actually came back into my life not that long ago. Of course, I know those songs, and I and I my sister loved those songs, and I grew up with them. But I couldn't say I was like this like committed like Foreigner fan, right? You know, and it's one of, it's also one of those things like I guess it happens when you get older. Because Foreigner came to celebrate, I guess, you know, I don't, it was some anniversary, the year my wife and I were first dating in 2017. And, uh, and Cheap Trick was opening. And I figured, okay, of course we're going to go see Cheap Trick. But then what we'll do is we'll stick around. I've never seen Foreigner. I know a couple of songs. We'll, we'll stick around. And we both couldn't believe it that, like, every, I was like, I know that song. I know that song. I know and love that song. Every song was a hit. And it ended up being the best concert, that not only that we saw that summer, but maybe ever. Like, we had so much fun that we've made it a point to see Foreigner every time they've come to town since then. Um, sadly, it's only happened one more, one other time, but but man, it was just it was just so cool. Okay, July 2nd, Wonderland Murders, Foreigner 4. We talked about Ronald Reagan earlier. Five days later, July the 7th, uh, he nominates the very first woman, Sandra Day O'Connor, to the Supreme Court of the United States. And on a roll of girl power, the very next day, literally the very next day, the Go-Go's drop their landmark debut album, Beauty and the Beast. And congratulations to those gals who were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last week. Long overdue. It's absurd. Like, like when I heard they get it, that was like, wait. Haven't how are how how they not have been and we're not going to get into some rock and roll hall of fame debate because it's just it's just silly and a waste of time but but congratulations to them they've got some shows coming up I'm gonna we're gonna try I was originally planning on being at their show either on the 29th in Los Angeles or on New Year's Eve in Las Vegas David Lee Roth's got a show too so we're gonna figure it out but anyway but if you're whatever you plan to do. Um, maybe we'll see you in Vegas or maybe we'll see you in LA. But anyway, congratulations to the Go-Go's on finally being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, that's the 7th, Supreme Court, Sandro Day O'Connor. Next day, the Go-Go's. The day after that, July 9th, Donkey Kong. 
is released, marking the first Donkey Kong and Mario arcade game uh, that, of course, was developed in Nintendo in, in Japan, is released. Think about that. When you get out of school on the last day of school in you know that year, there was no Go-Go's or Donkey Kong or Foreigner 4, and now there is. I mean, I played Donkey Kong yesterday. I was playing Beauty and the Beast earlier today, and I listened to Foreigner 4 almost every single day. All that happened that one week. Is that not insane or what? But keep it going. The 7th, 8th, and the 9th, the 10th. This might not be that huge on that scale, but it was for me because the movie The Fox and the Hound was released. And this is where we get into the people's history because I can shout Wikipedia facts all day long, but this is the people's history. And if you remember when we did the 1980 episode, I, w I was able to locate and find my very, very first friend, um, uh, Bo Williams. And I remember in 1981, we lived in Benton, Arkansas at uh, the bottom of the hill. We've talked about it quite a bit lately on Summit Road, poorest church mice, literally in a trailer. And Bo and his brother Paul were our neighbors. And, uh, you know, going to the movies back then was a massive thing when you're a kid. And, you know, now when you have the on demand and streaming, you know, I, I want my kids to understand that too that you know tv is campfire watching and event and that kind of deal and we went and saw the fox and the hound of course the animated one and i know it's going to sound so sentimental but i still think about this all the time there's a line from the film where when the fox and the hound are children are able to not they haven't been corrupted it's a great moral tale they haven't been corrupted with the their surroundings and the, and the ways of the world and even though they're both from you know you know, different sides of the tracks, as it were, and 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 uh, historically, and uh, shouldn't be friends. The fox and the hound, they were. And he says the line, "We'll be friends forever." And I repeated that line to my friend Bo and his brother Paul, and that's why it was so cool that when we reconnected last year, I repeated that same line to him, and I said, "See, man." I told you we'll be friends forever, and I'm glad to say that 40 years later that we are, and I was happy to have him on the show last year. I was going to have him on, on this year. Our schedules didn't quite line up, but uh, we're still very much in touch, and uh, and what a, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful, great, great thing that is. All right. That, so that's July. So that's 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. Okay. Two weeks later, for better or for worse, uh Tom Cruise makes his film debut in the movie Endless Love. Now, I grew up with Tom Cruise being the cool guy, not the wacky, crazy Scientology guy. You know, Top Gun and, uh, God, you know, the whole thing with Risky Business and, uh, you know, Cocktail and all that fun shit. So, I mean, who, who knew? And there's no need to be revisionist. Like, oh, now I... Now Top Gun sucks. No, Top Gun does not suck. It still rocks. It still rules. Um, but uh, I mean, think about that. Like Tom Cruise wasn't, you know, on the radar, and now now he is. And the very next day, the literally the very next day, on July eighteenth in nineteen eighty one, Anthrax, the band. <laughs> was formed in Queens, New York by guitarist Scott Ian and, of course, Dan Lilker uh, with Scott's friend Dave Weiss on drums. Uh, 
And as you know, that our guest this week uh, on a separate episode, of course, is my man Frank Bello, the bass player for, for Anthrax. You know, they're, they're his uncle Charlie, Charlie Benante, Benante uh, is uh, a great friend of ours, and he's been on the show several times. He also was a part of our uh, Neil Peart Trilogy film series, and of course, he is the world's biggest King's X fan and is a part of our King's X film project. So uh, it's just insane to me to think that so much happened this summer, and it just keeps going. Wait till, wait, wait till we get to it, but... You know, when you have the big four of thrash metal, it's kind of like when you're a kid, like, you know, your buddy collects DC, you collect Marvel, you know, you sides are chosen. Well, for the big four of Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, and Anthrax, I'm the Anthrax guy. Always have been. Growing up a massive Anthrax fan. And I love all four bands. I really do. And I was proud, that, you know, to be able to have been at, you know, the only two big four shows in North America, of course, where at the side of where they only have Coachella there in Indio. Um, and, and then later that year, of course, when I was living in, it's living in New York uh, at Yankee freaking stadium. And I've never been prouder as a fan to see those New Yorkers, you know, you know, finally be recognized and have their, take their rightful place and play Yankee freaking stadium. Great, great conversation with Frankie. We always have a good time. He has a new book out called Father, Sons, and Brothers, and he wrote it from that angle. It's very unique. It's awesome. Frankie's one of the most stand-up dudes I've ever known in my life, and, and great to call him a friend. Make sure you check out that episode. Uh, and they did a lot of things to celebrate uh, this year. They did. Charlie sent me this thing where it was a live stream of them I guess they were like in a warehouse and they just did this film thing and they covered their entire career. Unbelievably awesome. And then they did this whole series of vignettes online that you can see. There's like about 30 of them, each about eight to 10 minutes long. Some shorter that goes through every period for 40 years. Cause that's a, that's a, that's a great story. The Anthrax story is, is long and winding and strange. Like almost like any band that's been around for that, that amount of time. But all my love and respect to Anthrax, who formed on July 18th, 1981. And okay, and if you can believe it, some of the greatest bands of all time, certainly some of my absolute favorites, were all formed in the summer of 1981. How, what was in the water? What what could what could this be? How could this happen? That all of this happened at the same time and still thriving and still just, it penetrated the world forever. Here's what I'm getting at. In New York City, man, two of the all-time greats, certainly two of my all-time favorites. Uh, my goodness, if you can believe it, that the freaking Beastie Boys, all of that started that summer. Uh, Beastie Boys were formed when the... Uh, uh, group called the Young Aborigines was basically getting uh, Jeremy Shatan. Uh, he left New York City for the summer. And the remaining members, of course, Michael Diamond, Mike D, uh, Adam Yauk, of course, uh, uh, MCA, rest in peace, uh, John Barry, and of course, Kate Schellenbach, later with, with Luscious Jackson, all formed the original incarnation of the Beastie Boys. Of course, they went through, uh, you know, later on, of course, Ad Rock, Adam Horowitz, and of course what we what we know to be the Beastie Boys in terms of 
the iconic hip hop group. That didn't happen until a few years later, but the the very first seeds of that all started right there in the summer in New York City in uh, in the summer of 1981. And another landmark bomb dropping happened in 1981 in New York City uh, was when the group Sonic Youth forms. Uh, shortly after guitarist Thurston Moore, he, he had moved to New York City around early 1977, and he had formed a group called Room Tone with his roommates, and they later changed their name to The Coachman. After The Coachman break, breaks up, Moore, you know, started uh, jamming with a bunch of different people, uh, and he was jamming with uh, somebody named Stanton Miranda, whose band CKM featured, of course, Kim Gordon, later his future wife and then later ex-wife. And Moore and Gordon formed a band. Uh, they had names like Male Bonding, Red Milk, uh, the Arcadians, before finally settling on Sonic Youth and in the summer of 81. Uh, the name comes from combining uh, the nickname of MC5's uh, Fred Smith, of course, Fred Sonic Smith, of course, later, you know, was married to, uh, to Patty Smith, with reggae artist Big Youth. So Sonic Youth, right? Um... Kim later recalls that as soon as Thurston came up with the name Sonic Youth, then it's kind of like, man, we have our name. So now it's like the sound kind of comes from that. Uh, the band played uh, this annual festival they would have every year in New York City called Noise Fest. And it's a, it's an appropriate name because it's just a bunch of wild, crazy, you know, that art world and art uh, collectives just making a bunch of noise, man. Just, you know, just... The idea of no rules, no limits is great, uh, but sometimes what that happens is when you don't rein that in, you just have noise. I remember uh, talking with uh, uh, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins, one of my all-time favorite bands, about Sonic Youth, and he was like, man, tune that guitar, man. You know, uh, I love Sonic Youth. I absolutely adore them. And they have a bunch of really freak out, weird, Yoko Ono-like records that are just, there's no verses, there's no choruses, it's just this total freak out. And that's kind of what they started with, and that's great. You know, I do like more of their reined-in, more cohesive, not because it's more platable or because it's, you know, I, I have, you know, limited uh, uh, taste or, or ability to digest things that aren't as... Uh, easily accessible. Fuck all that. It's just, you know, a song is a song, and this is what makes a song. You know, if you don't have that, you don't. You you have noise, and noise is cool too, right? There's nothing wrong with that. God, the Melvins surely has certainly made a, a hideous racket for years as well. So, anyway, but if you can believe it, the Beastie Boys and Sonic Youth also formed in the summer of '81, and I'm gonna actually gonna play you something from Noise Fest very briefly, because uh, you can only can take it in doses. Uh, from the very first ever performance of Sonic Youth, again, at Noise Fest in New York City in 1981. And we're going to take a quick break so you can hear a little bit of that, hear a little bit from the sponsors. We're going to pay some bills, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk about some of the biggest bands in the fucking world. And my all-time favorites also all started in that magical summer of 1981. Check this out. We'll be right back.
We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. And of course, we mentioned, of course, the big four, the big four of thrash. Uh, you know, three of those four bands started in the summer of 1981. Freaking Slayer was formed in 1981 by, of course, Kerry King, Jeff Hanneman, Dave Lombardo, and Tom Araya in Huntington Park, California. Like most bands, started out playing, you know, cover songs and stuff, whatever. Uh, but in the, the band's early image relied heavily on this kind of, of course, you know, that, that satanic thing they were going with, with, you know, pentagrams and makeup and spikes and all that. Uh, the, the band was originally known as Dragon Slayer. After the course, the 1981 film of the same name that came out that year. Uh, Carrie denies it, but I've talked to some of the other guys who have actually have confirmed it. So I guess it depends on who, who you want to believe. But yeah, man, like freaking Slayer, like also the summer of 81. Like imagine like, you know, again, when you left school that uh, spring, there was no Slayer or Donkey Kong or whatever. Now there is. So the summer that brings you Donkey Kong and Slayer. That's a pretty good fucking. That's a good. That's that's a legendary summer, right? Okay. Uh, and then if we were talking about the Big Four, uh, pro in terms of like commercial and appeal and the whole bit, the biggest one of them all is celebrating 40 years. This you probably already know, but Metallica was formed in 1981, uh, about five months after Lars Ulrich and James Hetfield first met earlier that year and had their first show later that year. Their first recording wouldn't happen until a year later, of course, on Brian Slagle's Metal Massacre compilation for his fledgingly new label called Metal Blade. Now, if you have a pulse and a heartbeat and you live in America, regardless if you're a fan or not, you have to be aware of the celebrations that have been going on this year, not only for Metallica's 40th anniversary, but also what also kind of prompted us to kind of do the 91 episode was, of course, their legendary self-titled, or as people call it, the Black Album. And my goodness, check out our 91 episode. You can hear a lot about that, so I don't, I don't have to repeat that. 
Uh, but there is so much going on. Again, of course, you know, just around the Black Album itself, we detailed that in the 1991 episode about the Metallica playlist and, and things like that. But just today, just today, they announced that this thing called the Metallica Black Box, which is like one of those like freights, like um, what was the, was it, is it, What's the was it the wire when it starts out with all the people that that were dead in that uh, uh, that big freight uh, those big freight boxes anyway it's gonna be this traveling thing with all these different you know Metallica is so fan friendly man first of all obviously I'm a massive Metallica fan grew up a massive Metallica fan uh, but one thing I can always can say about them whether you love them or hate them or didn't like what they became or didn't follow didn't stick around for when the music kind of changed up or their look or whatever they were doing. You can't deny they always have such unique and inspired and ambitious ideas about the best way to mark these type of things or the best way to be engaged with their fans. I've never seen anything like it. When you have their kind of money and their kind of resources, the world is your oyster. But how often do you see people spending time taking advantage of that and 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 putting so much into that? everything they have done at their 30th anniversary? Of course, they do this week long thing in San Francisco at the Fillmore when they invited everybody that's ever been in the band, even way before Kill 'Em All came out. Everything is just neat and inspired. And this year, my goodness, they really have topped themselves. Again, that black box is going to be some traveling thing with all different artifacts and stuff. Um, and then, and I like how they've been kind of picking their spots this year. Like instead of just doing like a tour, they've done a couple of festivals. They just did this kind of intimate kind of deal in Florida. Then they just showed up the day after Riot Fest in Chicago and just said, "You got twenty bucks? Come on down to the Metro and buy a ticket." And they played the freaking Metro, this five hundred seat club in, in in Chicago. And I think they did the same thing like in San Francisco at the Independent. Well, they're actually coming here in a, in a unique capacity here in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, on November 27th, two, just two days after Thanksgiving, there's a thing called the Triad Combat Fight Night. And it's happening at Globe Life Field, which is the new uh, park for the Texas Rangers. And so it's going to be indoors, thankfully. And, uh, and it says, with a special appearance by Metallica. And I was trying to figure out what that meant. So the press people sent me their press release, and I had to jump through all these hoops of fire to get field access. So we will be down there. We'll be covering the, 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 the sporting event with the fighting. And I guess we'll find out what Metallica's capacity is going to be. But then just today, I was actually informed by a friend uh, that sent me a text and said, hey, what is this? And it said a full concert has been added. So throughout the night so like i guess metallica is going to open the show with a couple of songs maybe do four three or four more at halftime and then close it out with a, another full set i don't know but it's going down november 27th at globe life field uh, in arlington just outside dallas here so that's pretty cool um and if we were talking uh about the big four if we had to mention uh the other four or the next four i know people always want to do that uh, of course, you know, you'd have to have, you know, maybe Testament and, and Exodus on that list. But you most certainly would have, speaking of Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, the pride and joy of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, especially when we're talking about metal and talking about metal music, of course, is a legendary Pantera. And our, uh, you know, of course, the, the, you know, the Abbott brothers, if you, I mentioned earlier about um, 
my chat with Frankie. Definitely check out that chat. We we talk a lot about Dime and Vinny and and our own personal memories of them, you know, together and individually and collectively and the whole bit there. But yeah, man, Pantera was formed originally named Gemini, then Eternity. You can tell what they were into. Uh, before finally settling on Pantera. And of course, Vinnie Paul on drums. Dime, of course, real name Daryl Abbott on lead guitar. Terry Glaze on rhythm guitar. And the lineup was completed with two more kind of uh, unofficial members. Lead vocalist Donnie Hart and bassist Tommy Bradford. Uh, the next year, 82, of course, Hart leaves the band and Glaze now becomes the lead vocalist. Later, Glaze stopped playing rhythm guitar, and then Daryl was, of course, the only guitar player in the band. Uh, and later that year, uh, excuse me, uh, Tommy leaves the band, and then, of course, he was replaced by Rex Brown, then known as Rex Rocker on bass. And, of course, later on, uh, uh, around 87, of course, they meet uh, this metalhead from New Orleans named Phil Anselmo. And, of course, the lineup that we know as Pantera was formed. Speaking of Phil... Uh, check it out, man. So he, I we just saw him last Saturday night in easily the most jam-packed crowd I've ever seen in this venue. This thing could have been held at a venue five times larger, and and I'm glad that everything went well because because it 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 had potential to not be. Um, if you've been to Dallas Fort Worth area, you probably know that Richard Rawlings was involved with this bar series called the Gas Monkey Bar and Grill, named after his thing. And they had two venues actually, kind of across the street from each other. One was indoors called Gas Monkey Live, and then they had the smaller outdoor one called Gas Monkey Bar and Grill. Gas Monkey Live closes during the pandemic. And Gas Monkey Bar and Grill has now been renamed Amplified Live. Apparently there was a big to do and with Richard Rawlings and he's no longer affiliated and whatever bad blood all around. Well, Phil Anselmo and his band Phil Anselmo and the Illegals uh, were doing this thing called a vulgar uh, display of Pantera set. Which, speaking of Slayer, at their two final shows at the Forum in Los Angeles, uh, they opened that show along with Ministry and Primus uh, to do a full set of just Pantera songs, which is pretty cool. But this is the first time that any member of Pantera is doing a set of Pantera songs, not only since Dime passed in 2004, because Damage Plan wasn't doing Pantera. And Dime even said, last time I, the very last time I spoke to him, he was like, the next time we go out, we're not doing this shit. Like, Damage Plan was going to be over, and they were going to somehow get Pantera back in some capacity. I, I'm... That has been a very undocumented fact that I wish people knew about. That like, that Pantera was returning with or without Phil Anselmo. Anyway, um, so anyway, so so even if let's say Rex wanted, you know, if Rex were to get up there with like three other guys and either he sang or had some other singer, it's not really going to kind of feel like Pantera. You know what I mean? But when you got, you know, I guess you would say that Dime was the face of Pantera. Certainly, him and his brother. But, you know, when you have the guy that's up there that's the singer, you know, people always kind of equate a band with a singer. That That's a that's a much more, uh, you know, kind of thing to kind of get behind and kind of get excited about. So it was supposed to happen a, a few uh, weeks ago, I think last month. Actually, uh, they were going to do a show with Anthrax in Houston, and I was going to go down there for it. And I was talking to Charlie about it. And then um, some hurricane or something happened. I, I can't remember. Anyway, so they had to cancel their appearances. 
So the makeup makeup show happened this past Saturday at Amplified Live. It was the first one of this tour. And uh, Amplified Live, again, formerly Gas Monkey Bar and Grill, holds comfortably outdoors about, say, two or 300 people. They even have like kind of an upstairs type kind of deal. And then there's some indoor thing. But there shouldn't really be more than 500 people at this place. And I've never seen literally more than half of that in any band I've ever gone to see there. And I've seen some pretty good names there. My goodness. And this shouldn't really be the focus because I don't, I don't want to turn this into the, you know, man, the show was good. But but I'm just saying, like, I don't want to have to mention, you know, of course, what happened at Astral World in Houston and, and those tragic losses. I'm just so upset and so disgusted about how unnecessary and, and just easily avoided all of that shit could have been so i'm not trying to be a buzzkill here i'm i'm actually just kind of talking about how like man this was a wild show and that's the only thing i'm trying to get across uh but yeah like we're talking easily five times and the point of that again isn't you know to talk about some of you know nearly avoided tragedy was to talk about how much this meant to this town because again you know most people in this area might have grown up with Pantera and I forget how old I am and I forget that these people may have never have actually have seen Pantera like it's hard for us not to have taken those two guys for granted because they were everywhere you know I would see I would I would anytime you went to a like-minded show I'm doing this project on 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 King's X I would always would see uh Dime and Vinny at the King's X shows and then when I was and then, of course, you couldn't help but somehow become friends with them. And we did. And even to the end, like, I didn't really become really friends with Vinny, really, believe it or not, until, like, later in his life when he moved out to Las Vegas. Of course, I would see him everywhere here in town. But when I started doing my, my DJ residency at the Hard Rock and stuff, and uh, that's really when when I spent probably the most time with him. Uh, but die, man. Oh my gosh, dude. Like I would see him everywhere. And of course I've been to all the, you know, been to the parties at the house out there and, and, and Dow Worthington gardens and all that. And I've had, I have a, a book I could write about Pantera stories, but, um, so the point is, is that we just, we forget that, oh, wait, man, that was a long time ago. Like they broke up 20 years ago and I'm looking around and everybody around me is like 25. So we know they didn't see Pantera. And so that's why it was just this thing that they, they've, they've wanted for so long to get their hands on and to be a part of and to do it. And they've heard their parents their whole life, you know, espouse. And it's become this mythical thing. I don't see how that was lost on the promoter or the band or whatever, because that show could have been in a much... But feel like you said something, so he goes, man, he goes, this is way better than playing some hot-ass you know, smoky-ass club or even like an indoor. He was just talking about how he enjoyed it with being outdoors. Uh, but yeah, for a venue that holds about 500 people, there were like 2,000 people there and, and I think another 500 trying to get in. I'm probably exaggerating. The people live are probably going to be, be you know, mad at me right now. But hey, that's what you get, Jake, for not returning my emails, you fucker. No. Uh, but they're probably going to go, yeah, you're exaggerating and, you know, and that could... Bring potential law. I'm not trying to do all that. I'm just telling a, a fun story here. Anyway, I digress. So, but it was cool to see it. It was great that it happened, uh, and so excited um, to you know to be there. It was a little. It was you know. I want to give a shout out to Kim Zide, who is uh, Phil's assistant. She had a nice little area there for us to be able to uh, to enjoy the show, 
uh, free of injury. <laughs> and uh, man, it was just crazy and packed. Check it out. There's some stuff on YouTube and we'll have some links to it. Um, we're going to take another break real fast and we'll come right back. There's so much more that happened in the ma magical summer of 1981. What more would you need though? Anthrax, Pantera, Metallica, the Beastie Boys, Sonic Youth, Donkey Kong, Go-Go's. It's crazy, right? We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. <clears throat> all right. And man, the summer of 81 was just, it just keeps happening. Um, two days after my mother's 37th birthday, Stevie Nicks releases her probably her most famous piece of work, of course, outside of Fleetwood Mac, of course, with her debut album, Belladonna. And this album just had hit after hit after hit. A lot of them were collaborations. Of course, you know, uh, the song with Tom Petty, uh, you know, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. And of course, Leather and Lace with Don Henley, who was actually her boyfriend um, at the time. Uh, I got to tell you, man, every time I hear Leather and Lace, it tears a hole right through me every time. And it was one of those songs that I, I, I remembered. But again, remember, I was only seven years old in 81. And I was aware of who Stevie Nicks was. My mom liked Stevie Nicks. But it was one of those songs that it was like, I don't know, maybe just like in the last like 10 years. I didn't hear it on the radio. I just remembered it. Like I had it like in my head. And uh, I was like, man, I was trying to get a few pieces of the words together. And, and now because of the internet, that's a cool thing is if you just get a couple of words together, you can just type that in. If you know the artist or even like a full sentence of a lyric, man, it'll pull it right up. So I knew it was Stevie Nicks, and it's—I know it sounds kind of strange saying that because you know the song is so popular, and and you would think a, a music guy like me would, would have known that, but it was like, what's that one song? And that uh, you know that love us forever, face to face, any city or mountain. I'm not a singer, but I just I had that melody 
And the minute that I heard that melody, it immediately took me back to that time and place. And you would think, you know, like, okay, what what emotional attachment could a seven-year-old have about this song about love and and growing up and, and, and changing experience for perspective and all that? But I don't know, man. The minute I hear that song, that uh, especially when Don Henley's voice kicks in, I am right back in Benton, Arkansas, on Summit Road, outside in the you know, and again the summertime. Um, and of course, everyone of course knows the song uh, "Age of 17. You know, the just like the white winged dove sing the song sounds like she's singing. Everyone knows that song, of course. So, what a what a landmark. In addition, like if, if only just that record, you would still like, oh man, eighty one, man, Belladonna, Stevie Nicks. But that was just part of this crazy summer. Uh, two days later, and this is something I remember very specifically as well, a worldwide television audience of over 750 million people, that's almost a billion people, watched the wedding of Charles, Prince of Wales, and Lady Diana Spencer at the St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Um, so again, being back in, in, in Benton, Arkansas, I remember this because I was at... Um, my aunt was kind of like my grandmother. My mother was adopted by a much older couple. So when she was born, she already had like a sister like in her 20s, late 20s. And so by, uh, you know, now I just told you my mom had just turned um, 37. So uh, so this woman was in her, in her 60s. Her name was Edith, aunt, my Aunt Edith. And I remember being at her house, and she also had cable. I, I don't know if, if it was on regular, but it was just on all. Like, the wedding seemed to have lasted, like, I don't know, like 18 hours or something. I remember, like, even, like, people staying up late because, I guess, of the time difference in London uh, to watch it. But it just went on and on and on and on. And that ain't the only wedding that uh, drew a lot of attention in 1981. We're going to get to the other one uh, a little bit later, probably in part three. Uh, but now uh, is the moment. Like, this this is the moment. I don't want to create a hierarchy here, but if there is a moment in 1981, if there's a moment in the 80s, if there's a moment in my life that I have been dying to talk about. It's this next one. You ever do that thing where like you 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 try to pick the perfect moment, the perfect time and it never arrives so you never get it done. That's kind of the, the delay here. Like I I need to have it all together and thankfully right now here it is. Here is the I'm going to have a drum roll or something going on here in post production, but here it is. On August the 1st, the first 24-hour video music channel called MTV Music Television is launched in the United States and airs its first video. Of course, everyone knows what the first video is, appropriately titled from the Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. And that's another song that every time I hear it, I am just as emotional as it can possibly get every time. And my sister Nikki feels the same way. Um, there is so much to say here. I could have done an entire episode just on this, and I and I just might at some point. I've been trying to get one of them original MTV VJs 
on this show, and I don't know if it's just a contractual thing or that they're on a different network than we are and and what's going on. And Martha Quinn's not even part of, of that. She's kind of split from the pack. And uh, she was always my fave. She was, of course, the you know the cute one. Actually, a lot of people think, think that Nina was cute, too. Um, but I am somebody who has an absolute affinity for those original MTV VJs, of course. Unfortunately, uh, one of them is no longer with us. Uh, the late J.J. Jackson. You know, J.J. was like 40 then, and this was like 40 years ago. But he died kind of young. But Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, Nina Blackwood... And uh, for the longest time, uh, Martha Quinn, if you can believe it, uh, they're still on the air. So when people complain about, oh man, MTV doesn't show videos anymore and I miss the old thing, why? Why, why do that? Why complain about that? Because if they showed videos, it wouldn't be videos you'd, you'd want to see if you're the kind of person who misses those original MTV VJs. It would be stuff that you don't, aren't familiar with, most likely. It would be Saweetie and uh, Doja Cat and what and whatever, whoever the Kardashians are dating this week and all that. I know I sound so so dismissive, and I don't mean to be, but it, it wouldn't be the, the thing. So, but here's what's cool. And God, I wish I had known this so much sooner. Uh, but right this second, right now, if you have a subscription to SiriusXM, they're on channel, appropriately, of course, you know, channel eight, the 80s on eight, there they are. And I've got the, we have those Google machines in our house. And, and I have one in almost every room. I have one here in the office. I have one in both bathrooms, our bedroom, and our kitchen. And, of course, I have SiriusXM uh, hooked up in the car. So I just get in the car. I hear 80s on eight. I come in the house. Every room I go into, I say, you know, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to ignite the machine right now. But I would say H E Y G O O G L E. Play, you know, eighties on eight on Sirius XM, and there they are. You know, I'm a father of two in my late forties. I don't have time to sit around and watch some TV like I used to. But man, what a comfort it is to ha- to hear those voices. And what's even cooler now is that when they would play those videos at the time. They weren't, you know, they didn't have the knowledge or even the time to express it. Now, when you hear it, it's like before every song, you get like two or three minutes of this great factoid or a great story or you learn something. And and learning is my favorite thing to do. And it's also my children's as well. So, so much to unpack here. I feel like I'm talking fast because I'm, I'm not trying to just get through it. But I just, I know that there's so much to say that I, I'm eager to talk about. So, so let, let's kind of jump into it. Here's what I wanted to say. Most importantly, two things about the launch itself and about what they have done in terms of celebrating their own celebration this year. So let's start with the launch. Okay. If anybody tells you, and then you know what? And I may have claimed to have even have said this because because I, I thought that I had. Here what I'm getting at. If people click, oh yeah, man, I remember. I remember the space shuttle and the countdown. Um and all that kind of stuff. And what I'm talking about, I actually, you know what? I should play that first. I should play the beginning so then you'll know what I'm talking about. So hook it up, Francesca. Seven, six, five, four. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll.
This is it. Welcome to MTV Music Television, the world's first 24-hour stereo video music channel. Now, just moments ago, all of the VJs and the crew here at MTV collectively hit our executive producer, Sue Steinberg, over the head with a bottle of champagne, and behold, a new concept is born. The best of TV combined with the best of radio. Now, starting right now, you'll never look at music the same way again. We'll be right back to introduce the other VJs and the other folks who are going to be with us on MTV. I'm Alan Hunter. I'll be with you right after Mark. We'll be covering the latest in music news coast to coast here on MTV Music Television. I'm Martha Quinn. The music will continue non-stop on MTV Music Television, the newest component of your stereo system. Well, all right, I'm J.J. Jackson. I'll be sitting in with the latest video music performances the way they were meant to be. That's in stereo on MTV Music Television. You'll never look at music the same way again. Hi, I'm Nina Blackwood, and I'll be with you after J.J. right here on MTV, the world's first video music channel, all day, all night, in stereo. Are those guys the best? We all are so excited about this new concept in TV. We'll be doing for TV what FM did for radio. And let's get into it right now at MTV. Okay, that's the launch of MTV. And, of course, you know why. Because, you know, it had public access. Was You know, they didn't have to pay for the, the moon landing footage and all that kind of stuff. And that's why the MTV Award is the moon man. And it's just about money. That, that's all that was. That wasn't someone's brilliant creative idea with someone's brilliant market uh, or brilliant way of saving money. Okay. So anyway, now I re do remember seeing that space shuttle and those famous words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. But what I didn't realize that I was seeing a replay of it. So if anybody tells you that, oh yeah, I remember the day MTV launched, unless they were um, uh, somebody who lived in New Jersey, and right there by the Holland Tunnel, most likely they're remembering it differently uh, or inaccurately. And then I and I did the same thing because I remember it, but I probably saw like a replay of it or something. Uh, here's what I'm getting at. So MTV, of course, was launched um, on August 1st, but it wasn't even in. You couldn't even get it in, in New York, where the the DJs were were lived. For more information about this, there's a great book called the original for uh, called I Want My MTV that's authored by all four of, of course, the original five you know the living uh, DJs. And there's been several cool little you know documentaries here and there. And there's even a whole uh, movement to try to get them inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm a big supporter of, of that. Uh, okay. So, uh, and this is where the whole I Want My MTV campaign comes from. Because you couldn't get it. You couldn't even get it in New York or Los Angeles. You couldn't even get cable television uh, in lots of parts of where you think, you think of L.A. and all that being all, and, you know, Orange County being all... Uh, advance. You might remember Phoebe Cates' uh, uh, line in Fast Times at Richmond High, which we'll be talking about uh, next year, and I can't wait to get to the 82 episode, is uh, about, she's like, uh, she goes, you want love and romance and Reseda? She goes, we can't even get cable TV here. But um, anyway, so it didn't actually come to and of course I grew up in, in in Arkansas. It didn't come to us until about a year later. Now, 
when it came to us a year later, did they then start it there with the, the you know, I, I can't imagine they would have done that. Like, I imagine they would have just, it would have just been the live feed that was already going on. Like, would they have done the spaceship or I mean the, the space shuttle and the ladies and gentlemen rock and roll and then just go into what the live feed was at that time? Would they have done that? I don't know. I don't think so. I've, I've done some research and I haven't been able to find anything that would suggest that. But I do remember seeing it and I guess what I saw was a replay. But what is super important, we'll be talking about again in 1982 for next thing is that Man, that that first their actual first summer of MTV, uh, you you know you can't really count August first. I guess you kind of can because of the launch. But when when MTV was on at the beginning of summer, their first summer was '82, and man alive, I can't wait to talk about that. So we'll save a little bit of that for '82. Next, in terms of the launch, is we have a special guest. And who also is celebrating a major, major anniversary is that we have Tommy Heath, of course, Mr. Tommy Two-Tone, who is celebrating 40 years uh, in 1981 of their second album, Tommy Two-Tone 2, which launched a a forever song, a song that you still hear it 10 times a day everywhere you go, and and I still love it. It's been one of my favorite songs since I was, again, seven years old, of course, being 8675309. And uh, that album came out in September. We're going to talk, we're going to talk more in part three, the final three of this series will be Tommy's main thing. Uh, we'll be talking a lot with him. But during our interview, he, of course, I asked him about MTV. And here's what he had to say. And then the impact of MTV, which was being made in, I was in California, it was being made in Los Angeles and in New York, but it wasn't shown there. So they really didn't understand that it was a whole new medium. MTV launches in New York on August the 18th, just a few months prior, okay? Right. So when you guys made the video to, to Jenny, uh, walk, walk me through that. Now you're, you're a part of this MTV thing. And they followed the song like it was a script, and that doesn't work. It took a while to figure that out. These people I talked to in New York, they really didn't understand what it was. It's not music, and it's not a TV show. Especially for us, we're only, like we're in a motel for a half hour between arriving in the city and going to sound check. Somebody turns on a TV and there's an old, it used to be just put on an old movie or something. You just put on MTV and you just start walking by and you're caught by it. I, it just seemed completely different to me in the, the whole new world, really. Do you remember the first time you saw the video to Jenny on MTV? Uh, I liked it. Except I had that dumb look on my face when I'm looking in the window. How did Karen Elaine Morton get involved with the video? Is that Jenny? Yeah. She just passed recently, unfortunately. Yeah. Do you follow that? Yeah. You know, I never met her after that. And I only thought about... Well, that video, all the official video, just passed the 15 million view mark today 
on YouTube. When was the last time did you talk to to Mark Goodman or, or Nina Blackwood or uh, or Alan Hunter or any of those original MTV people? I saw Alan, uh, I think it was in Vermont when I was playing with Rick Springfield two years ago and he just came by. What's that little gal's name? The little one? Ma Martha Quinn. Martha. Yeah. I ran into her and Alan at some function three or four years ago. And then Nina actually lived, or maybe lives, she keeps a low problem here in Portland, Oregon, or at least has a presence here. Because um, when I first came up here in the 90s, I did some interviews with her and everything. We had a couple of beers together. I haven't seen her since this millennium, I don't think. And we're going to be hearing a lot more from Tommy uh, in part three. So make sure you stick around because man alive, we're going to be celebrating that anniversary proper. He finally reveals the identity of who Jenny is. I, I, Hey, I don't know how I got the exclusive, but I did. Uh, Tommy and I just really, you know, hit it off and, and a uh, uh, lot to share. I'll save it for part three, but man, make sure you don't miss that one. Okay. So now I wanted to talk about how they're celebrating and how I also celebrated. One thing, like, like I said before, I wish I had known, like when, when Sirius XM, I, I don't know when it started, but let's say like 20 years ago, you know, I that just seemed like, you know, I don't listen to the radio anyway, so why would I be paying for radio? And I'm sure that what the product they were offering then versus what they're offering now is probably a little bit different. But man, if it was the same, it would be worth paying for. But it would definitely be worth paying for if I had known this little fact. I, like you, have an affinity for MTV, the early MTV and those original DJs. And wouldn't it be so great to have them back in my life and have them have their voices and hearing them? Not, not replays from back then, but today, right? I get Larry Hama G.I. Joe comics each month still. And it wouldn't be so great to be able to hear those 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 friendly voices that feel like family, right? And you can, man. And I could have for like the last like 20 years. Think about that. Like if they, I think that the last of them, Martha left in 87 was the last one, I believe. Alan might have left until like 89. But still, I could be wrong about that. But you know, but by the end of the 80s, they were gone. But they were back like 12 years later. And then if you're 47, 12 years isn't that very long. 12 years ago doesn't seem that long ago at all to me. Uh, so it's only, so from 2002 to like, or if, let's say oh, four maybe is when, it, when they started doing it. So 2004 to like 2000 in, I guess, 17, when I first started doing Sirius XM, you know, that, that 12, 13 years seems like a long time, like when, when you're, when you're have an absence of something, right? So that's like 13 years. That's, that's as long as they were, were away that I could have had them back. And, uh, so I'm a little bit bereft about that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure during those 13 years, I wasn't listening to a whole lot of radio or I had time to anyway. So Fox and the grapes it is anyway, but I tell you that because get on board with it because even though, like I mentioned, I think Martha is now doing something out of San Francisco, and I think she's part of the iHeartRadio family, so maybe she should be coming on this show. But I've sent emails to, to Alan, and and he's either responding, he can't do it, or doesn't respond at all. Um, and those two would be kind of the, would be would be my first choices. Um, so anyway, so I was hoping I was hoping to bring them to you during uh, this series. So maybe at some point during this whole '80s thing. You know, maybe for the 82 episode, um, 
maybe we'll uh, we'll have some some fortune there and and have them on here. But in the meantime, here's how you should celebrate. You should go on to SiriusXM, get a subscription, and I think even can probably can listen to this via uh, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me the their webpage at SiriusXM.com probably for free maybe you know or get and it's not expensive you can get free, uh, three free th- three months for free and then it's like ten bucks a month you know and they get a lot of cool shit man a lot of cool stuff like I listen to Hair Nation and there's comedy and sports I mean, it's pretty much anything you, you would possibly could, could want comedy the whole bit. But they did, they, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, Metallica really knew how to, to mark this occasion. And it seems that it just keeps on, on happening. I mean, it seems like since I started this whole thing, there's all these new celebrations from Metallica that are happening. Uh, but uh, the MTV people really, really did a, a neat thing. So go to SiriusXM, check it out. They did this whole retrospective thing. Uh, with the four living DJs, uh, you can just tell how much these four love each other still. And there's just so much love there. I mean, because it's a marriage. I mean, when, when you're a part of something that special and that important and that original and that one of a kind thing that only happened once will never happen again. And you're with those people. That's why, you know, people like to go to like school reunions. Even if you weren't like around and even hung out with somebody, but you remember them for a little bit or remember their name. It's like a marriage. It's kind of like, man, yeah, I'm never going to be back in school. I'll never have that dude who sat behind me. So you're kind of connected uh, in a way. So, But when you hear them talk to each other and, and, and reminisce, it's just fantastic. So anyway, happy 40th anniversary to MTV. And all of you out there that are all fucking cynical going, happy anniversary to, to MTV for 40 years, you know, or... Or happy eight years of MTV or whatever. Yeah, I, I forgot. what It made me laugh too when I saw it. But still, fuck you and your cynicism. Um, anyway, I can't even tell you how much uh, what that has brought to me in my life as a young person. And every year that we do these 80s specials, uh, there will be a part of it will be dedicated to MTV and what was going on that year. Because it's intertwined, man. You can't separate it. At least not for me. Uh, but you know, I mean, I even remember like my you know, my mom watched MTV, and God, by '86 with Dial-In TV and all that, we was just it was in our DNA. And it all started, man, August the first. So once again, uh, congratulations um, and happy anniversary to MTV. And um, and all right, so we're gonna resume here. Okay, so just a week after that bomb drop on the world uh, was something that uh, you stoners out there definitely remember uh, was the movie Heavy Metal. And man, what a trip that was. Of course, that became this whole like midnight movie thing. And and I didn't see it until probably like about nine years later, um, around 89, I guess maybe eight years later, 89, 90. Now I'm like 15 or 16, and 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 it's so funny to think because I'm just so not this person. And looking back, I never was, and I have also never been a follower or whatever. But I I don't know how it happened, but for a brief period of time, very brief, I was that I was that stoner kid, 
it is so funny because I can't stand that shit now. Uh, but but hey, you know we were we were learning. We were uh, you know we were we were trying different things. So we were smoking funny things, uh, just kind of learning who we were. And uh, so I went through all that midnight madness, midnight movie, and you know, and oh dude, you got to see this movie, and we got to get all fucked up, and like let's go see it and shit. And but I did, I already knew what heavy metal magazine was because heavy metal magazine for me was kind of like like Playboy, like I. I had I remember I had a friend whose dad like you know would would have them like in the bathroom and I would like try to find excuses to go to the bathroom and and it was just cool because it was like everything I liked it was like comic books but now I'm starting to be interested in, in you know in, in, in girls and and so there's a little bit of you know it was horny you know what I mean it definitely it was horny uh, but uh, great soundtrack too man but yeah heavy metal released on August the 7th. Uh, and two days later, thank goodness, uh, on August the 9th, 1981's Major League Baseball strike ends and Major League Baseball resumes uh, with the All-Star game at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium. Now imagine that. The All-Star break is always right before uh, the 4th of July. And here it is, was like a month later. And, you know, the previous year was really the first year I started watching baseball. And uh, in 81, having to have that shortened season. Okay. Now, three days later, the original model, 5150, that's kind of a cool Van Halen reference, uh, IBM PC is released in the United States at a base price of $1,565. Now we will use the Google machines. Check this out. Okay, Google, how much was $1,565 in 1981? Uh, one thousand five hundred and sixty-five dollars was almost uh, was close to five grand in nineteen eighty-one. So there's your there's your original personal little IBM PC computer there at five grand. Uh, something big happened in the musical world still here in the month of August. Uh, the Violent Femmes are discovered by members of the Pretenders as they were busking outside a, a Milwaukee venue. And, and they were so blown away by them that they were invited to come inside and play a 10-minute minute acoustic set as the second opening act of the Pretenders show that night. First of all, that speaks way... I mean, I love the Violent Femmes. One of my f- favorite bands and just saw them... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, maybe a couple months ago, uh, here in Dallas, opening for Flogging Molly, and that's another band that's mine and my sister's band, and that did was born from those stoner years. Uh, but that speaks a lot to the Pretenders, man, because like, how many like, oh, you know, why are you busking in front of our show? First of all, like, how you know most band members are so isolated and secluded they wouldn't even have been exposed to it so there's that b that they that they had open hearts and open minds to pay attention and to to listen to it but then to be eligible for that kind of thing to say to be so moved by it to say get your asses in here and let's make you a part of the show and i'm so glad they did i'm a, such a massive fan of theirs and they're still rocking man they still came out with with an album uh, earlier this year out on tour with flog and molly in great shape and awesome, awesome stuff. I could talk all day about the films, man. Um, okay, now here is something very interesting to me, and it might surprise you for those that are listening 
that to to know that I would, might have some type of uh, affinity for um, this. I meant to talk about this in part one, but I was going to save it here uh, for now. Here's what I'm getting at. So I remember in, you know, when you think about the soundtrack of your life. Now, keep in mind, I'm seven years old living in the bottom of a dirt road in a trailer in Benton, Arkansas, the bottom of Summit Road, right? Okay. I don't have any political agenda. I don't even, I've, you know, I grew up in a house completely free of homophobia and racism, even despite the fact that I grew up in the South and around probably ignorant you know, people, not, not within my family, of course, but you know what I'm saying? In fact, it was my mother, like, I, 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 I wouldn't even, I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to hate somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like I was, wasn't raised that way. So I tell you all that disclaimer because it is out of complete innocence. One of my favorite songs that I remember from that time was Hank Williams Jr.'s A Country Boy Can Survive. I love that song, right? So let's tie this into another 40 thing, whatever. So check it out. So, okay. So for me, I love that song and I love his dad, his music. Oh my gosh. I, I listened, as an adult, I have become like the world's biggest Hank Williams fan. I listen to Hank Williams like almost every day. I'm a massive, massive fan. Okay. And I probably hadn't heard a country boy can survive in a very, very long time, on, at least on purpose. And because I'm doing this show and I put together our playlist, which I hope you'll check out on Spotify there. Uh, it's actually under under my name, under uh, DJ Tricky Kid Roy Turner, um, our 1981 playlist. And it's on there because this is what we were listening to in 1981. Now, I know what Hank Williams Jr. became uh, much later. It's like we were talking about earlier with Tom Cruise. Like, I, I love Top Gun. Just because he became an idiot later doesn't mean Top Gun sucks now or something, right? Revisionist. And, you know, I remember a time when, uh, when you know, Hank Williams was also, like, name-checking Van Halen in his songs. And, like, you know, we like old Waylon and we like Van Halen and, and all that stuff. And I thought that was cool, you know? And, uh, and I kind of, you know, thought of him as this kind of survivor of, you know, he had a horrific accident there in the 70s and his songs always tell this great story. Who, who doesn't know the song Family Tradition and, and A Country Boy Can Survive? Well, so uh, it's disappointing, uh, to say the least, to, to know that what has happened in this country that has seems to divide us so much. And I'm going to keep this a completely political free area. Um but it's, you know, you never like it when you see somebody that maybe you admired in some way express an opinion that not only do you not agree with, but but seems to be doing harm. And and I, I've seen some, some of that um, from him. Uh, but it didn't, but I had an opportunity to see him in concert this year. And it's because, once again, the theme is that on April 1st, and it ain't no joke, in 1981, Billy Bob's, Texas, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, right out there in the, in the, in the historic stockyards in, in Fort Worth, Billy Bob's, Texas, opens. And it's one of those bars kind of like, you know, we were talking about last year with you know the, the, this whole country 
you know, country western people, those were the rock stars in 1881. Last year with, you know, with Gillies and John Travolta and Urban Cowboy. And we had Barry Corbin on the show and all that great stuff. You know, all these country people, way before Prince and everybody else, they had they were, had their own movies. You know, like I said, you know, Honeysuckle Rose with uh, with uh, Willie Nelson. And, and you know, if you were watching Any Which Way But Loose with Clint Eastwood. I mean, th- these were, it was all country music, right? And I was into it. My daddy was into it. So that was an influence. Okay. So Billy Bob's is celebrating 40 years. And man, like I said, I've been there a, a, a bunch of times. My friends at the Toadies play uh, the day before New Year's Eve almost every year for the last like 10 years. If I'm home and in town, I usually go. And they usually are so kind about sending me an invite. And uh, they book, book a lot of different things. I took my mom to see B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland there and all that. So it's just a, you know, and that, uh, it's such a, a big part of all that. I can remember uh, coming down here on a on a special trip to kind of get me, you know, like excited about it before we moved down here with my 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 stepdad Bill, who was who has passed on now uh, since 2003, and we went to Billy Bob's, and I've got a button uh, that we had made there that was a black and white photo of me and him. And it says we. I guess we had to come up with a name, like, "Hey, what do you want it to say?" And and just on the fly, he just said, "Billy Bob's Bad Boys" or something, you know. And and uh, so anyway, I I cherish that. And I cherish that memory, and I have that button still, and it it, uh, it means a lot to me. Okay, so now that Billy Bob's is celebrating 40 years, and congratulations to them. Also starting in 1981. See, it all happened in '81, man. Uh, they reached out to me and invited me to come out and Hank Williams Jr. did a series of shows and I happened to land on the one that was the good one. Uh, I mean, they were all good, I'm sure, but the one that had like all the special guests and I didn't know it, but, uh, Kid Rock, another outspoken person who I, I, you know, I just kind of quoted one of his songs earlier with the smoking funny things and trying different things, but politically we, we ain't on the same page there, pal. Uh, and, and don't have to be, it's all good. And I think Miranda Lambert was there, and it was just such a great night, and I and I was excited to be there. Um, I was a little concerned because I knew I was going to be, uh, you know, like like it wouldn't bug me to have a difference of opinion politically like ten years ago or twenty years ago. Now it it's just kind of like it's just it seems like a just a completely different world. Like it seems a you know a very a hard thing to agree to disagree on. But thankfully I had no problems, and uh, everybody was very nice to me, and everybody was very happy, and it was good to see people out of their homes and having a good time. Uh, so anyway, I wanted to talk about A Country Boy Can Survive. That's what all this is leading up to. Because as I was listening to it, for the first time maybe since then, like on purpose, I really liked the song. But what's so funny is that there's so much of it that seems silly to me now and and braggadocio that would that like your current redneck would think this is like the fucking national anthem. And it, But at the same time, it also ignites some some pride in me. You know, I'm not a religious person at all, but when he says the line, yes, we say grace and we say ma'am, and if he ain't into that, we don't give a damn. I, fuck, man, I am all over that. I am all in and up and about that. I'm not a religious person, but I am I am a Southern. I, and I was surprised. I lived in New York for 10 years, and I was like, I'm not really much of a Southern guy. I don't have much of a Southern accent. I don't... You know, I don't have this deep pride for the local sports teams and all the customs, except for maybe the food, right? But that's what, going back to Arkansas two years ago on our honeymoon, by mistake, 
and it might not be a mistake, but like there was a series of things that happened that led us back there uh, that wasn't planned, that just gave Arkansas back to me. Now I'm like this super prideful Arkansan now, right? I never really felt like a Texan in all the years that I've been here. And that and that's that's good and bad, uh, you know, for you know, or for whatever reasons. It's not like I, you know, I'm purposely eschewing, uh, you know, the, the the Texas traditions. I just, you know, I guess I like asked my mom. Like my mom was born in California, moved away when she was 18, lived in Arkansas for you know 30 years, and has been down here for 35 years. And I said, Are you from Texas? Are you from Arkansas? Are you from California? She goes, I'm from California. So I guess you just you're always are are, are you're from where you're from. Okay, let's get let's not meander any longer. Let's get to it. So I'm going to bring it up here because I wanted to, I wanted to analyze a little bit of the, the lyrics here because uh, the first part's just kind of silly and kind of gloom and doom and you know and as much as I love Southern culture, there is this kind of apocalyptic thing and that comes from the religion that seeps through that. And since I don't I don't subscribe to any sort of organized religion uh, at all, I don't I don't have any of that I, I and i'm not recovering from it. it wasn't like i was it was thrust upon me as a young person and i'm recovering from it no i i i don't even know i can remember being an adult in somebody where i was in some gathering where you know it would have been rude not to bow your head when they were doing the and they were doing the lord's prayer and i actually don't know the words to that like and it was just, it was just one of those things like like happy birthday everyone everyone knows that and i didn't and i still don't don't really so when he says, you know, the preacher man says it's the end of time and the Mississippi River, she's a gone and dry. It's, it's, it's so silly and it's so dramatic, but kind of awesome, right? It goes, well, you know, and it's just this whole thing about, you know, eschewing uh, city living and technology and stuff because I can survive on. And not, not only can I survive without it, but I'm choosing to survive without it. And I'm prideful about surviving without it. That's a little silly. Just do your thing and be good with it. But there's always that underlying of that machismo, that toxic masculinity. I don't have that either. So, you know, the interest is up and the stock market's down and you only get mugged if you go downtown. Like, you know, leave them people alone. Don't, you know, don't explore. Don't, you know, you know stay in this limited. Area. See, I'm not down with that at all. Right. Okay. But man, when he says, he goes, when he says, I live back in the woods, you see, my woman and the kids and the dogs and me. Here, here comes the, the macho. I got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. That's all he needs. Something about that's kind of, kind of cool, right? And, you know, he's listing his his skills, his, it's like, it's like a physical resume. It's like, you know, do I want, would I be more proud that I was a brain surgeon or I, I, I helped others and cured cancer or that I can plow a field all day long and I can catch catfish from dust on. I guess you can feed his family because we make our own whiskey and our own smoke too. And ain't too many things these old boys can't do. A lot of pride there, right? Um, and here's where it gets a little macho again. He goes, and this is where I feel a little silly about it, where he says, because you can't, I think he says you can't stop us out. He goes, because you can't starve us out and you can't make us run because we're them old boys raised on shotguns. Like, oh, then we're going to chase you with a gun. That's really silly and that's violent. And either you're for violence or you're against it. I'm against it. Okay. 
But when he says, we say grace and we say ma'am, and if you ain't into that, we don't give a damn. That just feels good. But one of the things that I love is I love the storytelling of old country songs. You know, we played Juice Newton in part one. And when he says, he tells that story about how he had a good friend in New York City. He never called me by my name, just Hillbilly. And he tells the story about how his, you know, his friend got killed as a cautionary tale. And of course, the whole, you know, you know, I'd like, you know, that famous line of, I'd love to spit some beach nut in that dude's eye and then shooting with my, like, you know, if you'd been carrying a gun, that wouldn't happen to you. Maybe, is that what he's saying? I, I don't know. I, I hope not. But one of the lines that I like that he says, um, and the thing here, I don't know. Oh yeah. He goes, he goes, he goes, we came from Westford. We came from the West Virginia coal mines and the Rocky mountains and the Western skies. And we can skin a buck and we can run a trot line and a country boy can survive. I may not know how to skin a buck, but motherfucker, I know how I know how to run a trot line. One of the few things my dad taught me and one of those things, and that's, and that's not an easy thing to do. It's actually illegal in some areas to uh, be able to do that. I'm not going to explain it to you. Look it up what a trot line is. Uh, and for a while, I had that on my Instagram uh, when I was doing this. I was like, you know, when it says like, you know, you have to have a little bio. I just wrote, can skin a buck, can run a trot line. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that that song is, I've had a lot of fun remembering that song and being reacquainted with it and, I, and dissecting it. And, you know, for better, for worse, all political shit aside, I had the best fucking time at Billy Bob's celebrating their 40 years and golly in style with Hank Williams Jr. and Kid Rock and Miranda Lambert. And, you know, uh, and thank you again to the people at Billy Bob's. So anyway, I wanted to talk about that. And we're going to take one more break before we wrap up the summer of 1981. So come on back. And remember, there's a part three where we finish the fall and an uh, extensive thing with t more from Tommy Two-Tone and so much more. So stick around and come right on back with us. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here, plus exclusive content, short films, and more. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle, at TrickyKid2. Type TrickyKid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ TrickyKid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ TrickyKid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single stream, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. This is Tiffany here to always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. 
All right. So again, like I said, most people think of the summertime as June, July, and August because of the school year. But for this purpose of this, we're doing the solstice like late June to late September. So we're going to close out September and starting off a couple other things, if you can believe it, it started in 1981. Uh, guest clothing, you know, the, the guest locations started in Los Angeles uh, in September of 1981, celebrating 40 years. And right here uh, in this part of the world uh, is a great restaurant called Del Frisco's that was started back in uh, in 1981, of course, in Houston, Texas. And they've expanded with a lot of different things. And there's a great place here in, in, in actual Frisco. No, no, I don't think there's any connection to that um, in terms of name. Uh, called Randy's Steakhouse, and it's where I went on my birthday this year. And Randy is a pillar of the community, and he started out at Del Frisco's. And there's a great history right here in Frisco, Texas, with Randy's Steakhouse. It's like going to somebody's house, man. The best food, the best stories, the best atmosphere and people. Check out Randy's Steakhouse here in Frisco, Texas. Okay, also starting on right off the bat, September 1st, Hall and Oates with Private Eyes. The Private Eyes, they're watching you. Who doesn't love that song? Who doesn't remember that song? A few weeks later, Ric Flair defeats the American Dream, Dusty Rose, to win his first World Heavyweight Wrestling Championship in Kansas City. And while we're clapping, how about give me two claps and a Ric Flair? Woo! Uh, I can't say that I remember that, but I remember uh, it was at Starcade. I guess maybe a couple years later. We'll talk about that when we get to '83. The very next day, uh, the movie that <laughs> has become synonymous with being not like funny, but not on purpose. And it, this movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I mentioned going over to my aunt's house. My auntie, she had cable. My Uncle John would had an Atari, would play Missile Command. Um, was the movie Mommy Dearest, uh, starring Faye Dunaway, and of course she is playing. She's it's the biography of Joan Crawford, and her adoptive children, of course, wrote her adoptive child wrote a book called Mommy Dearest because that's kind of what I think that she, Joan made her children call her. And it's fucking bananas, dude. Like, yes, it's very 70s, 80s drama. And Faye Dunaway is so over the top. And then when you see this level of just insanity and abuse and and through the pain of a child, it's 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 heavy. But now when you watch it, I, I don't still can't find it funny because I saw it originally. But it's one of those things where like taking out of context like somebody will say something like hey man i can't seem to find my toothbrush and then they'll flash to almost like a meme but like actually think of of, of faye dunaway as joan crawford going i can't find anything and then it's instead of scaring you it actually makes you laugh uh believe it or not i actually if you can believe this I mean, one of say, why should believe it? This is a badass show. Tricky Kid Radio. It's badass. But yes, ladies and gentlemen and loyal listeners, Faye Dunaway has been on our program for celebrating the 50th anniversary of Bonnie and Clyde about five years ago. Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I was there at the screening, and I got to be part of the press junket, and I got to chat with Faye. Uh, and she was still just as honorary and still good looking uh, as ever. And she wasn't putting up with my shit for a second, but I didn't put up with hers either. So yeah, so check out, look into our archives. It was uh, a few years ago, right when we were first getting started. But yeah, Faye Dunaway, celebrating Bonnie and Clyde's 50th. Check it out in our archives. 
Uh, but yeah, so that so that's something else that happened uh, in '81 that summer was Mommy Dearest, and the very next day, literally the very next day, Simon and Garfunkel performed a concert in Central Park, this free concert in New York that drew literally a half a million people. I know you've seen, you've been at Blockbuster back in the day, and. And you, you saw the box cover and you were like, uh, yeah, I know that Bridge Over Troubled Water song, but wait a minute, like, this is some Beatles shit. This is some Elvis shit. Like, a half, that's the Pope goes to see a half a million. But you also have to think about it too. If you're in New York, there's that many people there. There's 8 million people there. And then with the commute, it hemorrhages to 12 million people. So a free show like Diana Ross drew a half a million people there. Pretty much anybody popular is going to do something free there. It's going to draw a big number. But at that time, it was still unprecedented and a, and a, and a huge deal. So I don't mean to play it down at all. And I've seen that the video, uh, the VHS or whatever, the DVD of that concert, and it's pretty phenomenal. Um, okay. Uh, round in the bend here. All right. Round in the bend is last but not least, but to round out the summer of 1981, and how cool is this? The summer was ending, but something pretty freaking awesome was beginning, was Elvira's movie macabre debuts. And man, I remember, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, of course, carries on to 82, which I can't wait to get to, and staying up late. I'm not a horror movie person ever, but at all, but my goodness, uh, uh, Cassandra, who, uh, I forget her last name, who, who, who plays the role of Elvira, uh, is obviously super gorgeous and super awesome and super cool. And I've actually have, uh, have met her. I've met, she hasn't been on the show, but I have met her and spoke with her at length before at right here in Frisco every year. Shout out. They have the Texas Pinball Festival. And, you know, uh, Elvira has several, uh, you know, some of the most famous pinball machines are the Elvira ones. And they actually came out with a new one and she was here to promote it. And we talked at length, and she was like 70 then, and she still like got the red hair and fucking gorgeous. And she's in the news uh, over this this past summer, whereas that she finally came out. Uh, and you know, has been has, has had a, a female partner for the last like twenty years, and isn't that isn't that fucked up that like all the like just like all the Hollywood dudes that were gay had to keep it, you know, that they were they were gay, and then all the the women, uh, but maybe maybe the women for different reasons, which is sad. Like you know, Oprah can't come out, and and like Queen Latifah, like as if like she needs to come out. Like I mean, who doesn't know that she she's uh, not part of the LGBT family? Um, but you know, because it would somehow, you know, I don't know, it, it, it like compromise something there. Uh, but it's different. It's like, like, like for the men, it's like we don't want the women to think that you're gay because we want them to be able to fantasize that you know they could potentially could have you. Okay. Well, same thing for the men. We want them to think that you're available. But it's it, I don't know. It, it hits differently, doesn't it? It, it, it seems even worse. Like it, there's something about it that just kind of seems like, like just this simply isn't cool. And I and I and I hate that for them. But you know, like I said, Jodie Foster and there's just been so many and. Again, like we talked about that in part one about John Hinckley Jr. and uh, you know shot the president to impress her and uh, hey man you could you could have shot them all and uh, you know she was born that way son ain't, ain't gonna happen uh, <laughs> better luck next time okay so speaking of next time stick around man part three we're gonna wrap this thing up 
strong, loud, and proud with a fall of 1981. Like I said, you already heard from Tommy Two-Tone a little bit in this episode. We're going to get the full scoop, man, uh, here to round out part three. So stick around. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know the holiday season is here, so maybe you'll have some time on those long drives to visit family and relatives. Uh, you'll crank on this show and 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 write to me. Let me know. Let me know what your memories are of 1981, man. Hit me up on Twitter at uh, Tricky Kid Number Two. I'm on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. We're on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio and of course part of the podcast Tricky Kid Radio Podcast Network. Of course, you should be subscribing uh, on Spotify and the iHeartRadio uh, app and you know, you know the drill. You know where to find us. So I hope we can find you right here next week as we round up part three of all things 1981. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by the Buckpets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.